I am rude. I'm rude. I'm rude. We are good. What is going on, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective, the show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie. I am your host, Eduardo, and I have assembled a gullible garrison of Guardians for this film because we are talking all about the Guardians of the Galaxy. This is going to be a really fun episode. This is a, a really just kind of a fun movie in regards to sort of how the MCU is um, and how the MCU has gone so far. It's kind of been, it's been specifically coming off of Winter Soldier. This is a little bit more of a light take, so it'll be a lot more, I think, uh, not that we don't have fun on any other episode, but this is definitely going to be a more on the lighthearted side. And with me, as always, on any show, the master of fruit himself, it's Peaches. What's up, man? I am Peach. Okay, good talk. I've I also think. got the resident sound lord, uh, sound engineer for all things. Everything that you're hearing right now has been edited thanks to our very own sound lord, Chris. Chris, what's up, buddy? If there's one thing I hate, it's a man without integrity. Chris Larson, people call me sound lord. <laughs> <laughs> I am Peach. And that laugh you hear in the distance is our very own writer for all things assembly required in squad up. It's Robbie. Robbie, what's up, buddy? I wasn't ready. All three of you had these brilliant introductions, and I'm just—I'm not ready. You bunch of jackasses. <laughs> Are we assigning ourselves guardians roles right now? We may. I don't—I don't know how that happened, but here we are. <laughs> oh boy. I always thought I'd be more of like a Star Lord, and this is this is gonna go super off track, but um, I'd be more of like a Chris Pratt, and not necessarily because of Guardians, because of Parks and Rec, and it's specifically because of who my wife is and how she's basically just a real life version of April Ludgate, and so <laughs> <laughs> basically I'm Chris Pratt by proxy, and so now through the transitive property I am Star Lord. That's how that works. Mm-hmm. That's I exactly how that works. No, you can't do that because Soundlord already took Starlord by saying oh, no. he was Soundlord. That makes sense. You get to be either Gamora or Drax. I'm okay. First off, tell me I'm Gamora is just because we're both Hispanic. Man does not necessarily mean that we both need to be green. I am confused. <laughs> <laughs> we are confused. <laughs> All right, Robbie. These people don't know who the Guardians are. Let them know who the Guardians of the Galaxy are. Uh, I also did not know who the Guardians of the Galaxy are, despite being an incredible Marvel nerd. And just completely honestly, from the three of you, did you know a damn thing about the Guardians of the Galaxy before this movie? Not nope, nope, a little nope. bit. <laughs> I, I knew the name. I had heard the name Guardians of the Galaxy. I knew who Groot was. That's it. Um, so real quick, because there's a lot in this ensemble piece, we're just going to blaze through the history of the Guardians of the Galaxy. They were introduced in 1969 as part of the Marvel superheroes, then got their own publication in 1976, a sort of a sci-fi adventure series that was really unpopular and it got canceled. Um, that original roster, completely unrecognizable from this film. Um there is references to it in the second film, so we'll talk about that. The original roster did have Yondu, so that's important. 
Um, and so Yondu was brought into this film. Uh, they disappeared. They, they appeared in some other comics, but then disappeared in 1980, came back in another series in 1989 to capitalize on the popularity of Star Trek, the next generation. And that continued until 1995. Then it was canceled. Then here's what's important was then revived in 2008. And the idea in 2008 was it got a whole new roster and they went and they brought a lot of C tier or even D tier Marvel characters and thought, thought, hey, let's put this together in a really cool roster and make a comic book out of them. Um, and so that's the comic we have now. And that roster is mostly what fueled this film. Uh, we have Star-Lord, who was introduced in 1976 as an Earthborn space soldier of fortune, who was captured by Yondu's Ravengers and then joined his team. Um, and then was the leader of the team in the 2008 reboot. We have Groot, who first appeared in Tales of Astonish in 1960, before even the Hulk was in those pages, um, as an evil alien tree. He stayed in that, as that comic became the Incredible Hulk's comic, he stayed as an occasional Hulk enemy. Then in 2008, was rebooted as a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy, as a good guy who, by the way, speaks complete sentences in the comic pages, um, if you did not know that. Uh, then we had Gamora, uh, who was created by Jim Starlin, the creator of Thanos, who used her in a lot of his uh, space stories as the uh, the most dangerous woman in the galaxy. She was eventually uh, written to be the daughter of Thanos and figured very hev- fairly heavily in the Infinity Saga, as did Drax, who's a powerful alien warrior, um, who's incredibly stupid, not very literal, but just incredibly stupid in the comics, um, also heavily in the Infinity Saga. Um, so was Nebula, a space pirate who claimed to be the granddaughter of Thanos. Uh, we had Rocket Raccoon, who was an ally of the Hulk in the 80s in some of his cosmic stories. Uh, Rocket Raccoon uh, was uh, a genetically altered raccoon who protected a quadrant of the galaxy. Um, and then their villain was Ronin, a Kree warrior, uh, the accuser, who's actually sometimes a good guy in the comics. Um, and then we even introduced the Nova Corps in this movie. And Nova is actually a... Uh, almost more of a B-tier Marvel uh, hero, uh, especially in the 90s in the comics I grew up in. He was a a staple in any sort of crossovers uh, right there with anyone like, um, you know, uh, Ghost Rider or Wolverine. He was a big deal back then. Um, Not yet in the films, but the Nova Corps is there. Um, The Guardians of the Galaxy had a constantly changing roster, um, and it would take an entire show to go through all of them. So, uh, but there is your, your lightning round. And in 2010, at Comic-Con, Kevin Feige said he wanted uh, to do more obscure titles like Guardians of the Galaxy. So they began developing the film in 2012. Uh, they released it in 2014. It was incredibly well-reviewed uh, and made $773 million in the box office, which is a really big deal. This was the first... Um, yes, Captain America wasn't as big a deal as Spider-Man, but it was still people knew who Captain America was. This was the first time the MCU went uh, with a deep cut and... I remember when it was coming out with it, there was a lot of who and what, and this won't work. And as we're going to talk about for the rest of this episode, it didn't just work. It really worked. Um, and Chris, I think you have an interesting fact about the uh, creation of the film. Oh, just a little bit. Uh, Marvel, back back in the late 2000s, uh, about 10 years ago in that decade, they had a screenwriting program where they had a bunch of writers uh, where they would offer them these lesser-known properties on which to base screenplays. And there was a writer named Nicole Perlman, uh, who was part of the screenwriting program. And they gave her a couple choices, and she was a big fan of space and science fiction, so she picked Guardians of the Galaxy, and she wrote the initial script for that. Actually wrote a couple drafts of it. Uh, when they brought in James Gunn to direct, uh, he contributed to the script, kind of rewrote it, but not so much that her name was taken off, so she's actually credited as a writer on the original Guardians of the Galaxy. 
She also later on created the story for the Captain Marvel movie. And it also says right here, the story for Detective Pikachu. Has nothing to do with this, but I just wanted to oh, point that yeah. out. She's a, she's a legend. Yes, as far as I'm concerned, she's the best. Uh, <laughs> also, can I just say that Detective Pikachu having a connection to Guardians of the Galaxy is one of the least surprising things I've ever heard? Could yeah. you not imagine Detective Pikachu in the Guardians of the Galaxy? Like, yeah. Wouldn't he literally just fit right in? I kind of want that. I kind of <laughs> want that a lot voiced now. by Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Of course, of course. I find real quick. I find it interesting that that Groot started as a bad guy, but uh, like a villain of the Hulk specifically, and then Rocket started as an occasional ally of the Hulk, and the two of them are like inseparable right. in these movies. And also, why did they go with the "I am Groot" only if he speaks in because it's sentences? funny. And he, when he came back in the comics, he actually started doing, like, I think in the 2008 reboot, I think that's when the I Am Groot thing started. Like, did he just say that to be funny instead of speaking in complete sentences? Or could he only I'm say that? I'm not sure. I think it was one of those things where he was so obscure that the writers yeah, kind you gotta of had give him a gimmick. carte blanche to do whatever they yeah. wanted. Sure. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I just want to mention that Rocket Raccoon is named after the Beatles song Rocky Raccoon. And there, his original storylines had a lot of references to that song, including uh, how Rocket had to uh, help Hulk stop a villain who's trying to steal a weapon or uh, called Gideon's Bible. It was actually a book called Gideon's Bible, which is mentioned in the Rocky Raccoon song. And I would anyway, like to point this out, isn't a Beatles it's podcast. This film that Cosmo the Space Dog is a current member of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Cosmo. <laughs> Ah, I love that little Russian dog. What an eclectic group. Yep. Yeah. But let's dive right into the movie. Yes. The movie opens, Earth, 1988. We see a young Peter Quill and what is one of the most gut-wrenching scenes in the entire MCU because, boy, this is a tough scene to watch. Oh we gosh. see Peter Quill's mother. She is sick. We don't know at the time what it is. We find out later it is a brain tumor, but... That's uh, a story saved for Guardians Part 2. But Peter is is grief-stricken. He um, He's trying to, to, to be there for his mother, but he doesn't really know how to process it because he's a child. His mother hands him a gift, and she tells him to hold his hand, and he doesn't do it in time, and then she um, seems to pass away right in front of his eyes. He hurries away because, as anyone would do as a small child, you don't want to sit there and watch your mother pass away. And he is abducted by some aliens, and that's where we kind of open into our current timeline of Guardians of the Galaxy. I want to say two things about that scene, please. Absolutely. Uh, the first thing is that when this movie, like if you remember the marketing for this movie, it was very much leaning into this movie is going to be crazy. And it was looking very funny. They were really playing up all the the soundtrack choices and everything. But it was also playing up the fact that, hey, this is a movie with a giant walking tree and a talking raccoon. So you're thinking, oh, this movie's going to be weird as hell. And then it hits you with the sat one of the mm-hmm. saddest opening scenes I have ever seen. It's it is right up there with Up, I think. Mm-hmm. And I was not expecting that. Second thing I want to say about this is that this movie has the all-time best cut to the Marvel Studios logo. Where cuz it open cuz it's like a cold open of of this this really sad scene in the hospital. Peter runs outside, all of a sudden bright light, spaceship, 
spaceship starts to beam him up and then it fades into the marvel studios logo and the marvel's fanfare is playing and it's like oh yeah by the way this is one of those movies because <laughs> except for the uh the title card pointing out that it's earth 1988 this could be a drama this could just be a, your regular drama about a kid who is uh, coping with loss and then it's like surprise alien abduction and it's like, hey, you're entering the world of Marvel now. And I just thought that was really, really brilliantly done. So we then cut to Morag 2014 and we see Star-Lord getting his groove on to come and get your love, which is, it's amazing how quickly they kind of make you fall in love with this character because he's such a lovable idiot. And it is um, Star-Lord, uh, Peter Quill, played by Chris Pratt. Or, as I like to call it, Chris Pratt playing Chris Pratt because he's essentially just being himself or any other character he's ever been on anything else. Like, if you think of it like his like Jurassic World character or Andy Dwyer or Star Lord, they are all the same person. Just one of them can communicate with Velociraptors. That's the only real yeah. difference. And, and you know, if Star Lord met a Velociraptor, he probably could communicate with it. He could figure it <laughs> out. He figure it out. Um, I also just want to point out this has the best appearance of the movie title of any movie I've ever seen. How it comes in right on that beat of Come and Get Your Love. And uh, when he is singing into the little rat thing. Yes. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> well, and shortly after this, we get the line that I both love and hate of the, uh, not I guess shortly after this, but quite a while after this, the... Uh, the if I had a black light, this whole ship would look like a black Jackson Pollock painting, and that's just <laughs> like I hate it. But it's also such a good line, and you're right. It, it's it's something Andy Dwyer would say in a spaceship. If, if Andy Dwyer knew who Jackson Pollock was, I was wondering how you were trying to tie that in. So I feel, <laughs> if I feel you don't now. think that I'm just going to steal this orb and sell it to the highest bidder, then you're the dumbest woman I know. <laughs> i got that i got that reference yeah uh, someone uh, didn't peaches no i actually have seen that video on facebook often so that's one of the few parks and rec references i'll get something about so, eating all the bacon at a restaurant sorry keep going <laughs> so the star lord is uh at this like big temple thing and he's trying to steal an orb to hopefully sell it and he's confronted by korath Minion of Cree warrior Ronan, the accuser. <laughs> so some some hilarity and some antics ensue. Demon, kind of like... monsters. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's kind of like Roger Rabbit and Elmer Fudd. Like he just can, is just very slippery and can kind of slip away. And uh, Roger Rabbit and Elmer Fudd. Excuse Fam- me, <laughs> Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd. Famous <laughs> but I want Roger Rabbit and Elmer Fudd. <laughs> And Did you know that there was supposed to be a sequel to Who Framed Roger Rabbit and it was going to reveal that Bugs Bunny was Roger's father? Yes. Yeah. What? Well, it kind of makes sense now. Hmm. <laughs> so he escapes on his ship, the Milano. He finds some chick on the ship that he was like, oh, I didn't even remember you were here. <laughs> and he then heads over to... Um, where is what planet is he at with the with the Nova Corps, right? That's the Zandar. planet. Xandar. Xandar. He heads over to he heads over to Xandar to sell the orb and he kind of the is the only planet Epcot's ever heard of. <laughs> and he kind of double crosses his buddy boss thing, Yandu, um, to do this, to sell it on his own. 
And the dude's like, oh, Ronan's involved. I don't want any part of this. Get away from me. And then we then we meet Nova, or I'm not Nova, Ronan, <laughs> excuse me, who is uh, about ready to murder a member of the Nova Corps by smashing a giant hammer on his head. And then we oh. watch the blood from this person drip into a drain as Ronan kneels and watches Boy, it. This movie That's got a dark. weird scene. Well, so, and then what's really weird is we go from that, this dark scene of him smashing a guy's head, to he's literally pouting like a child in the next scene because he didn't get the orb, and now Thanos won't destroy a planet for him. Like, like it's a whack job. And Thanos yeah. called him on that, too. Like, <laughs> demeanor is that of a pouting That's true, child. yes! <laughs> I didn't say that on purpose, but you're right, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I would say that this movie might have been the first one where I didn't feel like people were dying as violently as they have been in the la in the rest of the MCU films. But then there's that hammer to the face <laughs> scene. You don't, you don't see it, but you can imagine it. Yeah. yeah. The angle that that hammer comes at that dude's face yeah. is like, Ooh, yeah, it's rough. It's rough. Um, so Ronan's goons come back and they're all like, sorry, boss, we lost the orb. And he's like, you guys are idiots. Who's going to destroy my planet for me now? You, person who I don't fully trust, go get the orb for me. And he sends one of Thanos' daughters, um, Gamora, off to get it. We're also uh, introduced to Nebula, another one of Thanos' daughter and sister, adopted sister to uh, Gamora. Um, back on Xandar, Gamora is standing outside the little shop Quill is at, and she attempts to steal the orb, and we get introduced to most of the Guardians at this point. We get introduced to Gamora, we've already been introduced to Peter, and then we get introduced to Groot as well as Rocket, and the four of them kind of try to take each other down. Rocket and Groot are trying to capture Quill for his bounty, while Gamora is trying to steal the orb, and they all eventually get captured by the Nova Corps. And that's when we head over to the big old jail scene and we get the scene of them all getting kind of like washed. I guess we only really see Peter Quill get washed just so we can have a shot of his abs. Um, but during all of this, we get hooked on a feeling and which ends up being sort of the like, if you think of this movie, hooked on a feeling is the song you think about. And Chris, you wanted to touch on the soundtrack because up until now, this soundtrack is very different from the rest of the MCU. Yes. Uh, what was really cool about this movie, and I remember the first trailer that came out mm -hmm. used Hooked on a Feeling. And right away, you're like, okay, this is a different kind of space alien movie, because normally you don't get 70s rock in science fiction like this. So the awesome mix, as they call it, because that's the, uh, it is the, the mixtape that that Meredith Quill made for Peter when he was a little boy. And that, that was what bonded them was they shared their love of pop music. And that comes back throughout the guardian series so far. That is something that we've seen. And on a grand kind of like a, on a macro level, that is what connects Peter to earth. Even though he hasn't returned to earth since he was abducted, it is that, that awesome mix that it connects him to earth and it connects him to his mother. And, it is very thematically important. That's why he risks his life to go back and get his uh, uh, get the Walkman back when it's uh, taken from him at the kiln at the prison. He risks his life for that Walkman and Drax calls him an idiot for it or an imbecile. <laughs> but you understand that it's more than just, oh, I need my music. It's I need the one thing I have of my mother's. 
I need this. And James Gunn has a really unique approach to music. Uh, when he wrote the script, uh, he, he wrote the song choices into the script. And that very rarely happens in Hollywood. They tell you not to do that because there's always a chance that the song will not be cleared for use because you have to go through all the proper channels to get permission to use music in a movie uh, that's already, uh, you know, already released music. Uh, but he picks these songs very deliberately and uh, even more so in, in volume two, I think, but definitely this one as well. They, they inform the moment of what's happening on screen and, you can tell, yes, this is why I wanted this song. And I saw somewhere that he had written out a list of like 70 songs. So like, these are songs that Meredith Quill would have picked uh, so that he kind of used that as a reference when he's writing it. But as for the score of this movie, I think this movie has a really good score. I actually really love the Guardians theme. Uh, I think that at one of my great disappointments in Infinity War and Endgame was that we did not get to hear the Guardians theme when they appeared. Agreed. But uh, another thing that he does differently, Tyler Bates is the composer and he has been the composer for all of James Gunn's movies that he's directed. Uh, So they have a a really great working relationship. And what he does that's really different is that he actually scores and records some of the music before they film. And they play that music on set while they're filming to help get the actors into the emotion of it. I just think that's a really interesting way to do it because generally you write them uh, you finish shooting the movie and then the score is written to the film like that but but they do things a little differently in guardians should we Town. do that should we play our intro before every episode so that we can get pumped maybe we can all recite it together there was an idea <laughs> dormammu i've come to bargain before we get started does anyone want to get out <laughs> bunch of jackasses reciting Marvel lines. <laughs> Are you Tony Stank? <laughs> uh, the soundtrack is great. I don't think anybody's going to argue with you, Chris. I think. No, and it, go ahead. Uh, keep going. Well, I was just going to say it was also part of why this movie was just so unique to people and why it had such a unique response. Like, obviously, the MCU was already popular at this point, but this movie, I feel like hit in a different way because also just the soundtrack itself was catchy and people like none of these were songs that people didn't know but they were just arranged in such a way that people listen to this soundtrack just for the sake of listening to this arrangement of songs still and it's very interesting that a superhero movie did that i think there's go go ahead please no you you tried before you go I think there's something that could be said about, we, we talked already about how the Guardians were kind of unknown, right? And so when you're making this movie, you need to have the audience connect with you in some way because you're putting them in space. You're introducing them to all these different characters. You're introducing them to all these themes that they're not necessarily used to because they're not familiar with any of this world. So what do you do? You make them familiar with a soundtrack. You give them something that they know that is familiar that they don't have to think about. It is just there for them. And they could kind of connect with the movie that way. That's a good segue into like two things that I wanted to say, because I I wanted to say, like, I agree that it's good to have that familiar music, but it's also such a weird and kooky choice to have all of these songs in a movie in the MCU when we haven't had really anything like that before, other than the ACDC and Iron Man. Um, It's just two types of kooky clashing together to it just was the perfect recipe to have all these weird characters and all this unconventional music for a movie of this type. 
to put them together and it to work so well. And speaking of relating to the audience, this scene right before we get to see Chris abs, uh, like when they're introducing them and they're doing that, like, you know, John C. Riley is basically telling the audience specifically who all of these characters are. Like normally, rundown. yeah, normally in a movie, I would find that really cheesy or campy, like breaking the fourth wall is hard to do properly. And it doesn't come off as he's breaking the fourth wall, but he really is because I think for this movie, it's necessary. And they did it in a way that was fun to tell the audience about these characters and give them a really quick rundown of who they were because nobody freaking knew who they were. And to make it fun and have John C. Riley be the one saying all those things with his very stepbrothers stature. I can't <laughs> see, see I've heard him. Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> I can't see him and not think of stepbrothers. So Same. that's just how it is, is he's just a little funny on his own, no matter what he's doing. And to put a little humor with that, you know, Star-Lord doing the wind up, flipping the bird thing and not knowing how the machine works. Like it just all came together to do the cheesy thing that some movies do of just blatantly introducing the characters in a way that was totally fair. So I, I personally, I don't know how you guys feel about that in this movie, but I think it was well done. Oh yeah. I mean, they always say show don't tell when you're writing or making a movie, but if you're going to tell, you know, do it in an entertaining way. No one's going to care. Do it with a really funny joke about flicking somebody off. Uh And, and, and (laughs) it also, there is some showing involved as well. I mean, you see, I mean, that, that's a great example, that little gag. I mean, that tells you Star-Lord right there. The way Groot reacts now, he's just kind of curiously looking at everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of these things, really, you see the characters as yeah. well as having, having, uh, what, whatever his character's name is. Who? Uh, the, Which one? I think John the characters... C. Riley. I can't think of his character's oh, name. Right yeah. now. I think the characters Ronan also do really... They do a really good job of establishing who they are from the very beginning with a very few amount of lines. Like, for example, when um, Star-Lord calls Rocket a raccoon and he doesn't know what a raccoon is. Like, it's very, like, there's nothing in the world like me except for me, uh, something that Rocket says. And I think that yeah. just it just kind of really paints his character very quickly for you. So you go, all right, I know what Rocket's about. He's crazy and he's no nonsense, and this is just his character. And you know what you know what Star Lord's about. Yeah, and when uh, when Groot says "I am Groot," you know that he's Groot. It really, it's true. You yeah. just know. <laughs> Denarian Day was his name. Denarian. By the way. Okay. His yeah. first name is Roman, which I'm yeah. glad they didn't really call him that that often in the movie because then would have had a Roman and a Ronin. And <laughs> right. Too many. Too many of those. And so they're in this this sort of prison. They kind of walk all in together. And Rocket and Groot kind of establish dominance over Quill in this really awful looking thing where Groot shoves his fingers up oh, this dude's nose. God. And his, his, like you can tell he's like growing his plants up this dude's nose. And it Nathan just looks... Nathan Fillion in a vocal cameo. Is it really? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. No way. Nathan Fillion and James Gunn have worked together a lot. They're they're great buds. So I mean, there there are certain people that always work with James Gunn. Michael Rooker being another one, and he of course plays Yondu in these movies. So, so I didn't realize that. the the bullying alien was Nathan Fillion. That's cool. yeah, yeah. Huh, Captain Hammer himself. So they're they're in there, and then we finally get introduced to the last Guardian of the Galaxy for this movie, Drax the Destroyer. Um, he is upset because Ronan has 
killed his family, and he attempts to kill Gamora in association with Ronan. Uh, Quill kind of convinces Drax not to do it, to kind of use Gamora to get to Ronan. Kind of right, and then he bait. can put his finger, finger on his neck. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> finger on the throat means death. <laughs> that scene is so funny. Uh, just because Drax is from a species that does not understand metaphor. So when Peter does the finger on the throat, the throat slashing motion, and Drax just goes, why would I put my finger on his throat? <laughs> and the other guy's like, oh yeah, I knew what that meant. And then Drax looks at him, no, no, I don't. <laughs> what a weird thing for your species to have. Like you right? don't understand metaphors. You could just start understanding metaphors, right? I mean, he does. He kind of does. But I mean, if, if it's never yeah. been a thing, how would you know? Yeah, he starts it's, it's understanding them. Nothing goes over my head. He my starts understanding them fast. improperly, though. Yeah. Although yeah. he does call Sakarans like, paper people, which I think is a metaphor. But eh. <laughs> did you all read yeah. Amelia Bedelia when you were kids? Oh Drax yeah, this murderous Amelia Bedelia. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Same. Well, Amelia Bedelia was a book for kids about a not murderous Drax. Okay, uh, good. That that right. that. that I'll up. explain it. It was it was just a children's series of books about a woman that doesn't understand metaphors. Did her wife and child get murdered by Thanos? <laughs> not that yes. we saw. No. <laughs> oh. So Rocket, Groot, and Quill kind of all agree. Uh, with Gamora to kind of help her because she informs them that that orb that they were trying to get that she could get four billion units for, and so they are their ears immediately perk up at that, and so they agree they're going to get they're going to escape out of this prison because uh, rockets escape twenty seven times and twenty two twenty two times I thought it was twenty seven <laughs> I just watched it today twenty two <laughs> times and <laughs> um, so they kind of instigate a plan to kind of get out and they do end up escaping after a massive firefight and quill goes back to get his walkman because as the sound lord uh, alluded to it's something precious to him from his mother um then we get the first real kind of real shot real speaking role for thanos in the mcu he is blaming um ronin for gamora's betrayal and um ronin kind of blames thanos for not kind of telling him that Gamora would betray him. Like, like this is your daughter. You put her on my ship. How would you not even know that she was going to betray me? Um, Thanos then kind of is like, look, get the orb or I will literally murder you. And Ronan's like, okay, well, I guess I'll go get the orb. <laughs> Interesting he, in this scene, by the way, is that Thanos says, apparently you've alienated my favorite daughter, Gamora, which mm-hmm. ends up being very important when we get to Infinity War. Uh, but it's an early peek at the fact that Thanos is like, well, this is your fault. She loves me. <laughs> He's kind and, of in denial about that. And Nebula's right there when he yeah, says it. Yeah, yeah, she's <laughs> right there. <laughs> so now you understand why Nebula wants to betray Thanos at the end. Uh, we're seeing, we're already seeing that he looks like he's a pretty bad dad, so we're starting to understand why Gamora would want to betray him. Not a bad daddy, but a bad dad. He's probably mm. a bad daddy, too. I don't know. Oh, my God. Hey, here's a weird segue away from the joke that I accidentally led us into. Okay. Um, why does Ronan's hammer have uh, windbender powers? Because it's a space hammer. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's not just nice. any hammer. Um, now, this movie is kind of filled with comedy. Um, specifically, like, uh, just a moment ago in the kind of escape scene, they had the thing where Rocket was giving everybody the plan and they were telling everybody, hey, I need, you know, this thing and I need the this guy's leg and I need this other thing. And this thing has to be last. And then we get Groot being like, hey, I got the thing you needed right after he says it's all happening in the background. Yes. And it's such a great bit of business. It is the absolute <laughs> height of comedy in film. Like just the fact that just in the background, he's talking through the plan and just casually in the background, Groot is just his innocent self. S- slightly out of focus. Just, just, just. <laughs> staring and read and you know you know what's coming you know what's coming but just watching and then what just really sells it it's not just Groot's normal the way he plucks it off and then looks so pleased back at everyone like look I did this but it's <laughs> the real height of the comedy of that is Drax just sitting there eating what appears to be cereal or maybe soup or something <laughs> just walking up and just just casually just watching just mild interest at watching it what is the giant tree doing (laughs) and it's just it's so every time i watch that it hurts me and this whole movie just hurts me laughing and this in some ways i think this movie sent the mcu in obviously the mcu is wonderful but at times i think we've talked about it worries a little bit too much about quipping and a little bit too much about comedy and i think this movie is what set it down that path but in the case of this movie it's hilarious, um, and there's, it's just got so many good lines, and I, I really just wanted to know, since we're going to go through, we're getting towards the drama portion of this film, I just wanted to hear from you guys, like, what it is that makes you, that, like, is so funny to you in this movie, like, favorite lines and favorite moments and just funniest stuff. Well, you already said the Jackson Pollock one, which was my biggest takeaway from my most recent Oh, I'm sorry, watch. I didn't mean to steal your thunder. <laughs> That's okay. Um... I want to say it's just anything involving Drax because he's just specifically in this movie, because in some of the, in the next movie and even in sort of infinity war, he kind of gains sentience. He kind of gains like a little bit of knowledge about the world. So he's kind of like learning and they kind of like, they definitely didn't realize how funny he was going to be in this movie to the point where in the next movie, they really like hammered in, Drax being a comedic character where in this one he's still like a serious character who ends up being really funny yeah I agree with that and I think I I have a lot of lines that I really enjoy in this movie but for for some reason one that always sticks out to me is Star-Lord calling Ronan a turd blossom in the final (laughs) confrontation (laughs) I've used that insult ever since like I, I call people turd blossoms not all the time but it's in my bank the oh gosh there's so many i think that uh james gunn has really great comedic sensibilities in his writing and directing uh so many of the scenes like any good comedy have a great button at the end one that i wrote down because i know there are others that we're definitely going to mention um but one that i wrote down is when they're at the end when they're infiltrating the dark aster yeah and and Drax is going, he's, he's being as nice as Drax can possibly be. <laughs> and he's, he's saying sincerely, he goes, I just wanted to tell you how grateful I am that you've accepted me despite my blunders. Well, it is good one, to once again be among friends. And he says, this, you Quill are my friend. This dumb tree is my friend. And this green whore. Oh, you must Gamora, stop. <laughs> yes. And then Nebula comes in, shouts something 
at Aunt Gamora and he shoots her and says, no one talks so, to my friends like as that. As many times as I've watched this movie, I forgot, like when Nebula showed up, I was like, well, how does this get handled? Does it go into a fight? And then there's the shot. I completely forgot about that. Like there's just so much layered humor in this film that I can watch it 20 times and still forget some stuff when I rewatch it. Yeah. Okay, uh, but what about specifically a line that could only, I think, work given by John C. Riley to the like president of uh-huh. the Nova Corps, where he's like <laughs> relaying Star Lord's message, and he's like, he said he's an asshole, but he's not, and I'm quoting him here, a hundred percent a dick. Well, and then she asked him, "Do you believe him?" Do you him? believe him? <laughs> well, I don't think anyone's a hundred percent a dick. <laughs> I like that the last three things we've named were the three things that I would have named if not for what I did. <laughs> yeah, there, there's just so many great. Uh, what I want to mention: a bunch of jackasses standing in a circle, mm-hmm. uh, which is another great button on the scene. I want to talk real quick about Rocket. Now, Rocket Raccoon is voiced by Bradley Cooper, but on set he's played by Sean Gunn. Sean Gunn is a stand-in. Uh, Sean Gunn, who is also Craglin in this movie. He is James Gunn's brother. Uh, he was on Gilmore Girls, if you ever watched that, and he's amazing on that show. He's so funny. Um, but he was the onset rocket, and he actually improvised the line, bunch of jackasses standing in a circle, and they kept it in. And uh, that's one of my favorite lines. That's why I put it in the, uh, in the intro of this show. It's a good choice. Yeah. And fitting for us, except for the standing part. Yeah. And the circle part. We're not really in a circle. We're just jackasses. <laughs> um, so the group heads to nowhere. We get some more kind of, kind of character building moments aboard the ship. And they head to nowhere and we kind of see um, what is a giant celestial head. A really beautiful shot played to the tune of Moon Age Daydream by David Bowie. Mm -hmm. And this movie is just kind of chocked full of these beautiful set pieces and these beautiful moments in Peaches. I know you kind of noticed this so much that you went back and did it again. Yeah, I, I, I watched this movie twice for this podcast and I didn't take notes either time. Because it was just so entertaining. I'm going to have that problem more and more as these movies go on because they Mm -hmm. just get so much. Some of them just get so much better and I'm going to have a hard time taking notes. But the point is, when I watched it the first time, I was like thinking about certain scenes like their flight into nowhere, specifically the shot with the Milano in the center bottom of the screen, like flying forward. And you can see the lights of the city all in the background. Um, And. I was just thinking to myself, like, damn, every scene in this movie is so pretty. Like it, it, this, this movie's a looker. Like I could I could take a screenshot of any point in this movie and use it as a desktop background. And I'm picky about desktop backgrounds. And at the end of the movie, I was thinking, like, surely every scene couldn't have been gorgeous. Right. That's just me using hyperbole. And when I watched it the second time, I was like, nope, I was right the first time. Every scene is beautiful. You've got so many great, like even just the colors that they choose for the characters and the effects in this movie. The purple that comes off of the Power Stone is absolutely gorgeous. The the hue that they use for purple that comes off the stone and the the flame effects that it uses and everything. I love when Groot, um, like, leaks the lightning bug things into the chamber, and Drax is like, "When did you learn to do that?" Um, it's just like a really pretty series of lights um 
the scene at the very end of the movie where they're all holding hands to absorb the power of the stone, like that's really pretty to look at, even though their faces are tearing apart, like everything around them is chaotic, but it just is really pretty. And I, I don't know too much about, you know, like the technicality of CG or anything like that. So I can't really speak on it further, but it's just so it visually, I think that's why this is a movie that I'll go back and watch with like almost no reservations because it, I could just stare at this movie and drool all day. Yeah. I mean, the, the color palette has a lot to do with it, right? Like you think yes. about a movie in space and it's kind of like space because it's like the deep, dark space. It's usually very muted, you know, very um, muted tones, very, a lot of whites, a lot of blacks. You know, if you think of like an astronaut movie, it's all white and black, but this mm-hmm. movie is so colorful and vibrant yes. and rich that it really lends itself to this, um, this art style you're talking about. I just thought of another one, too, that's really pretty. It's right before, um, I believe it's right before Ronan is talking to Thanos and he, you know, airbends that dude's head backwards. <laughs> right before they're actually on the rock, you see the rock that they're about to be talking on and space in the background. And like the far left of the screen is like a deep blue and the far right bottom of the screen is like a deep red and they come together in the middle to be black like the space in the background. And that's another, that's another looker right there. I'm going to look that up. Yeah. But y'all know what I'm talking about. It's the same reaction I had. And you picked the same scene. Like that arrival to nowhere is just like, that's, that's specifically my aesthetic. (laughs) Yeah. Dead space skull. Yes. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) I I was just clarifying. Sorry. What's, What's great about this movie is that in a time, and this is something you see even more in video games, everyone's always complaining about how all the serious movies are just gray, gray, gray and brown, brown and gray. And you could say that about science fiction movies, and you could even say it about comic movies in, in at, at the time where it seemed like the direction, except for maybe the MCU, was, oh, we're going grim and gritty and dark. And this is just such a... Uh, a, a rebellion against that oh that's pretty and that's that's drax uh sorry we're we're watching on uh on robbie's screen oh that's true drax is pretty but (laughs) uh while you're talking about the color color palette of this movie oh my gosh yeah just as they as they enter nowhere it's about to be at the top down yeah yeah the the production design is great one thing that caught my eye watching this is how the it is a everyone always talks about how a movie can have a colorful cast of characters and this movie literally does and one of the things i really love about it is how many of the background actors and aliens they're really interesting designs and they're mostly done with prosthetics and makeup it's like someone watched star wars and said what if we made the whole movie out of cantina yes it's 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 yeah absolutely and and i'll just jump ahead to what eduardo was going to bring up soon anyway and cut some time off i Loved this movie. When I first went to see this film, and anyone who knows me, and some people listening probably don't, I am a massive Star Wars geek, and I was, like many Star Wars geeks, a little disappointed in the prequels. I I actually am not a prequel hater, but they didn't feel like Star Wars movies to me. They did not feel like the original trilogy. And when this came out, I remember sitting in the theater and just thinking, and it was about in nowhere, and it's kind of because of the things you said, the practical effects, the people in actual costumes, the the stuff like the dogfights, the fact that there's all these little lived-in pieces of this galaxy that look aged and important. 
that I remember watching this and thinking this is the most Star Wars a film has been since 1983. Like it's not Star Wars, but mm. it's got this ensemble group of heroes. Um, it, it, it has, um, uh, you know, an ensemble group of heroes. It's got hero. It's got humor. It's got the you know the the spaceship that's almost a character in its own right. And it feels like a Star Wars movie. And that was so exciting to me. And of course, shortly after this movie, we finally got another Star Wars movie that feels like a Star Wars movie. And we can argue with that later if people disagree with that. But <laughs> this movie just made me so happy because that's what it felt like. It felt like I was getting a Star Wars film. And I, I still love it for that. I, and it's got great humor and it's got great visuals. But it that brand of sci-fi that is giving you a layered universe that you're wondering what else is going on just off the side of the, the screen and what else is going on on the other planets you don't see. And there's this depth to it, but also it's, it's the kind of science fiction that's more of a fantasy. That's not really bogged down by this. How does it work? Spaceships don't make sound in space. It's not trying to justify its existence. It's just trying to be entertaining. And I loved that. And I, I had been waiting for a film like this for basically my entire life because I had not gotten a new Star Wars film that kind of was this sort of film in this sort of genre. Uh, I mean, Firefly was kind of that, but one thing that Firefly is missing because of budget is Star Wars still also has big stuff, big battles and big epic sequences and Guardians delivers on that front as well. And I feel like Chris is the most likely person to say something to corroborate what I just said. He's right. <laughs> okay my rant's over if no one has thoughts on that you can I mean move on. we've all seen the Star Wars Robbie like there's not you're not the only person who has seen the Star Wars are you assuming I'm the only one that's seen Firefly is that well I guess I, I guess have what also I'm wondering seen is not okay and Serenity I guess what I want what I want to hear is not have you seen Star Wars but like did this hit you the no. same way did this no yeah, I didn't that's get the fun. Star Wars this was always fun no. No, I, That's I, fine. oh, I, I would agree with you. I said it, it feels oh. different from Star Wars in a lot of ways, but there are a lot of things about it that remind me, as like I said, well, the the cantina scene or the the Jabba scene and Return of the that whole opening hour of Return of the Jedi that's so weird and I love so very very much because of it. Uh, it it really yes. it 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 does kind of hit a lot of the same notes as it, and and I appreciate that. So at this point, Rocket gets pissed at Drax because he called him a little monster. And you could tell that he is kind of upset at his own existence. He doesn't really know what it is. He doesn't know. He just knows that he has been experimented on heavily. And you kind of get little touches of what we think is going to help, like, kind of go through into the plot of Guard or, uh, Guardians Volume 3. We've already been told that um, Rocket's story is going to be a, a big part of that movie, so hopefully we get a little bit more answers and a little bit more about what happened to Rocket and kind of, you know, putting a tail on the end of his story. And so they go and visit... <laughs> With a few rings on it, of course. The, uh, Benicio Del Toro's The Collector, who is just a fantastic character. So weird. Um he's so strange and to be fair every character this man plays is always super strange yeah. it's, it's just not the sidekick in one of the james bond movies he's very very normal in that he made up for it by being the voice of swiper in the door of the explorer movie though there you go he made up for it then <laughs> wow no but seriously i think it's 
I think it's a view to a kill. Like it was one of his first roles. He's just the boring hitman for the villain yeah. in that movie, and that's like his only Benicio, boring. No <laughs> oh gosh, I, I'm hoping that they bring him back in the future uh, if he hasn't died because he and Jeff Goldblum need to share a scene because uh, exactly. the Grandmaster and the Collector are canonically brothers in the comics. They're both elders of the universe. And if you visit Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout at Disney California Adventure at Disneyland, uh, there is a painting of the two of them playing chess in the queue. I need to... Is that a Pirates of the Caribbean reference? Um, yes, they actually, uh, the game is on, no, it isn't, I don't think it is. Um, <laughs> okay. So the Collector kind of explains, that they, he, they're there to sell it to the Collector, and he kind of explains what it is, that the orb is actually housing one of the Infinity Stones, and we kind of get pictures of some of the other ones that we've already seen. We get the Aether, we get um, the Tesseract, and so we see a few of the other ones. It kind of explains what the, the Infinity Stones are, and yeah, how much destruction good explanation of them right. sorry sorry Oda. yes right and kind of what they can do what their power is and what they're capable of and we get a, a scene a little earlier of um the collector being a little mean to one of his like servants i guess you could call her and so she attempts to grab the infinity stone to kind of take out the collector and it ends up you know burning her to death and she kind of mm-hmm. like disintegrates so that's Ooh. cool yeah. Um, uh, can I? Sorry to jump in again, but yeah. there are a lot of Easter eggs in this scene that I really, really want to talk about. Some of them. Okay, uh, go for it. Yeah, Cosmo. Co- yeah, Cosmo being chief among them, one of the Guardians of the Galaxy, as I as I believe Robbie mentioned earlier. Uh, he's a he's a dog that the Soviet Union sent into space, and uh, in the comics he can talk. Right? He's he's like a little talking Russian dog and an astronaut. Yes. Which to me a yes. cosmonaut suit. Uh, so Cosmo's there. Uh, we see a Chitari soldier. Uh, we see a dark elf. Uh, if you look carefully, you'll see someone who pops up in the post credit scene, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about at the end. Uh, so hold off on that. Uh, you also see uh, the slugs from a non-Marvel property, Slither, which is one of James Gunn's movies. It's a horror movie about monster slugs, um, I think, from space. Um, but there is a tank behind the collector that has them in it. Um, and also when he's uh, describing the Infinity Stones, the history of the Infinity Stones, we see this giant uh, creature using the Power Stone to wipe out a planet. And that is Ison the Searcher, who is one of the Celestials. Yes. Uh, which I'm hoping that we're... Because this is the first movie to mention and show Celestials. And then, of course, we meet one in Guardians Volume 2. And I am... And the uh, the promo art that they released for the movie The Eternals that is coming out uh, prominently featured the Celestials. So we're going to be seeing a lot more of them in the MCU as we move forward. Well, that's where everybody thought Adam Warlock was happy. as well, right? That's where everybody assumed his cocoon was because they yeah, saw like a, a thing that might have been his cocoon. Yes. But then we find out in Guardians 2 oh, that really? he is not actually there. He is on whatever planet that is on Guardians 2. Yeah. The pretentious yeah. planet. With the gold people. <laughs> um, now I just want to see Mike Myers on that planet and you know what we're getting too far <laughs> we're starting to talk about Goldfinger um, oh boy <laughs> <laughs> so the group kind of decides you know what this might be a little too much just to give to the collector we should you know give this to somebody who's going to protect it because this could cause a lot of damage you had that in your purse <laughs> <laughs> it's a knapsack and 
Meanwhile, Drax is like, I'm bored. Let me call Ronan to come play. And so he literally makes them call Ronan or makes somebody call Ronan and Ronan comes and they attempt to get the stone from them. And we got a very large scene, a large like fight scene um, between all of them about. Uh, Because at the same time, the Ravagers show up too. Yondu and, and his crew looking for, for Quill. Right. Right. And so it's kind of a very large fight battle thing. Dog fight. Dog fight. Okay? Is it weird that the little pods are the same colors as Quill's ship? I thought that yeah, was kind of weird. That too. They look they have the exact I didn't even same paint job as the Milano. Yeah, they I are... say paint everything you can orange and blue as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Why is that? All right. <laughs> Chris, why do you th- do you have some sort of association with those colors? Do you uh, th- They just look really nice to me. Boise like, State. Ah, uh, hardy har. By the Thanks way, you can are. follow Chris at GatorSax2010. What could it be? <laughs> he really likes eat clocks off of pirate hands. They are complementary colors, either they way. Are. No, when I first saw the movie, I thought they were part of his ship because I wasn't paying attention to, this, <laughs> to the dialogue. Because they looked like they belong. I never on noticed it. this. They do. They look very, very similar to his I'm ship. I'm the only person that did not notice this. Go back and watch it. You've got it on in the background. Yeah, You're I do. You're at actually. that scene. You're at that scene right well, now. Well, we're actually. I will say we're pretty much constantly at what's playing in the background at all times. Oh, cool. Perfect. So there's a dogfight. Nebula shoots down Gamora. She takes the Infinity Stone. And Star-Lord uh, uses his mask to save Gamora. And to, to kind of save all of them, he calls the only person who he thinks he can help, who thinks can help them. And he calls Yondu, um, who comes and kind of captures them. Quill kind of negotiates a truce with Yondu. To be like, you know what? If you help us, we'll get you the stone, and it, it's it's worth a lot, and you could sell it for a lot, or you could use it. And then we get a fun scene with Rocket saying, "Hey, idiots, give us back our friends," something along those lines. And you see Drax on the top of the ship with a giant gun, who's ready yeah, to blow the them out of five. <laughs> and then Quill takes the mic. It's like, hey, 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 Rocket. Like, oh, hey, Quill. <laughs> This is where we get like the the group kind of together. They're talking about what they're going to do. They're talking about the, the big plan for the big fight at the end of the movie. And we get the bunch of jackasses standing in a circle line. We kind of get a, you know, we're all a bunch of losers speech from Peter Quill. And the group kind of takes this like fun, like, you know, let's suit up, you know, like the like suit up everyone. And the they montage. all like montage with Cherry Bomb by the Runaways in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ronan takes the Power Stone for himself, and he threatens Thanos. He's like, I have the Power Stone now, so you ain't shit. Um, and he's going to come after him after he burns Xandar to the ground. That sounds good. Uh, big talk. Um, Nebula <laughs> is like, oh, you're going to kill my dad? I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with him. Um, and it's a really... As far as the movie's concerned, Ronan is this sort of presence of seriousness where at all other times it's sort of a little bit of wackiness and a little bit of funniness in Peaches. You kind of felt that way about Ronan specifically, correct? I was wondering what, which part about, like, which Ronan scene y'all were going to fit this in with because, I, like, all of them are too much. <laughs> I, so here's the thing. The whole movie is wacky like we've talked about that it's got an unconventional soundtrack it's got a bunch of characters nobody knows about they're all bickering with each other the whole time there's aliens it's 
in space. There's just a lot of weirdness going on and a lot of humor and a lot of wackiness. And then there's Ronan, who is like the... If you had a scale of how wacky things were, he's on the complete opposite side as far as you can go, not wacky at all. And it's almost too much. I think the villain being serious is a good contrast to how weird the rest of the movie is. But he just goes like six step six steps too far to the point where I can't take him seriously as a villain because he is so serious. Like he's just so Shakespearean even. He he <laughs> is he he doesn't really emote other than just like pronouncing himself and declaring things and kind of like snarling and yelling at Sandor, you stand accused yeah and just being really theatrical about it and i don't know i i i think he's an okay villain but his his over seriousness makes him less of a threat to me like the fact that he is so serious that star lord dancing at him prevents him from wiping out the world like there's there's things in movies where a villain could very easily win and then the hero does something kind of unconventional to save the day like it stops the villain in their tracks he was dancing just lay the hammer down why do you care what he's doing you were about to murder him because he's so confused by someone not being serious i I know and that's that's where i think is that of a pouty child (laughs) yeah and i don't know i i think that is ronan is the thing about this movie and I don't want to reveal anybody's ratings, but of the four of us, I have rated this movie the lowest. I didn't rate it low. I just rated it the lowest of you. the four of us. And I think Ronan is what drags it down for me. I think he's what takes a couple of the points away. Um, just, I can't, it's too much. The, see, I actually kind of like Ronan. I, he's not a big deal villain, so he's kind of forgettable, but I just think Lee Pace's Lee Pace yelling is apparently something that really entertains me on film. Um, <laughs> the, the the way he says he's going to burn Xandar to the ground, the the I will cure it. Like those those notes are fun. Um, and then Thanos. And I think I'm that whole serious Lord thing, right? <laughs> that's good. And I think that whole serious Lord thing he's got going on really makes the dance off bro payoff good. Um, I see what you're saying, and I'm not going to say I, I love Ronan. He, I, he's better than, you know, Nameless Dark Elf, but and I know he had a yeah. name, I just don't care. Um, but, I don't know, I, 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 I don't unless, no. really disagree with you. I guess it's just it doesn't bother me, and if that makes sense. I'll, I'll say he isn't the only serious person in this movie. Like, Nebula is a close second to how serious and, like, just straight face nebula is but we get a lot more nebula with the other movies and she kind of comes around and she's still serious most of the time but she starts to like lighten up and whatever and um he just i don't know because this is all we really get of him it's just a little too much for me but i don't know i think i think of any good buddy cop movie and for every pairing there has to be you know the straight like the straight actor the one that's like you know by the book kind of serious and then you have the like funny guy paired with him and i think ronin is something that's like needed in this movie there needs to be somebody to kind of give it 
and I will, we're, we're going to get a little preview now about my feelings about Guardians 2, but I think that's something Guardians 2 is missing for me personally. Um, I think I left that movie feeling like I need something a little bit more because like they really played up the humor in Guardians 2, like to 11. Every character mm-hmm. to me felt like they were joking significantly, like specifically, like I think of like Drax, like I think Drax was definitely a lot more funny than he was. I think some of a lot of these characters are a lot more like they, they knew they had a, a funny movie by the time they got to guardians too. And so I think I was missing a little bit of that grounding presence. I think the, the material might've been a little bit more serious in guardians too, but the handling of the material is definitely a lot more on the, that's going to be, you and I are going to agree with, Oh, guardians that's going to be a, a lot, vicious episode. <laughs> oh, and I think you me and Robbie are going to agree with the Guardian. Oh, I yeah. can't wait for the Guardians <laughs> 2 tag team <laughs> yeah. match. Gene Peaches and Eduardo. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be a fun one. No, I. but again, I agree that he needs to be that way to contrast the rest of the film, but it was just too much. Um, another thing I'll say that I, I wanted to say earlier, and I just don't know when else I would say it, and it's not like a big enough talking point. Another thing that kind of drags um, some of the points down for me when on the final rating of this movie is there are certain times where I feel like the characters personas kind of bleed into each other's. It's like, maybe they forgot that like specifically there is the line where um, Gamora is like, not the line, but the, the scene in the movie where Gamora is like confused about dancing and um star lord talks to her about kevin bacon and then later you get the like we're just like kevin bacon and it kind of feels like she's drax in those two scenes like is she also oblivious to things now too do her people not understand metaphors all of a sudden and a couple times don't understand kevin bacon no but it just doesn't it doesn't the metaphor she doesn't understand is sticks up the butt yes that one too that's put the sticks up their butts that's just cruel that is i'm not sure you would just understand what that means Especially because yeah. how he talks about but Footloose you that... is he literally, and I wrote this in my notes, he describes Footloose as a legend about a great hero. Like, it it makes sense for her to maybe think there was yeah. actually violence okay. in that story. But it's it's yeah. not about her saying what a sticks up the butt means. Because, yeah, of course, if you haven't heard a phrase before, you're not going to know what the phrase means. It's more of the delivery that the way she says it, it sounds like she's Drax. Like, like sticks and butts sounds horrible. Why would anybody do that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Like, you're not Drax. You are Gamora. You're supposed to be like fierce, and you have like a drive to get this shit done. It just felt weird. I don't know. It's kind of nitpicky, I guess. I'd yeah. say so. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Peaches is the one being a little too serious on this episode. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So the Guardians, the Ravagers, and the Nova Corps kind of work on a plan to stop Ronin, who is coming for Xandar. We get that fun scene with John C. Riley where um, he tells her about not being 100% a dick. Um, And Ronin arrives and starts attacking Xandar, and the Ravagers and the Nova Corps kind of engage Ronin's fighters. They have this really, this is another one of those really beautiful scenes where they have the the explosion that kind of does the big circle around, and they have to go under the explosion, under um, Ronin's ship. Yeah. Um, As well as the linking of all the Nova ships together. Yeah, that's a really cool effect. Um, And so 
they the the crew on the Milano ship end up boarding Ronin's ship, and they fight a bunch of soldiers. We get Groot stabbing a bunch of them with his arm and flailing them around and taking a bunch of them out and yelling a bunch, which is phenomenal. Gamora faces Nebula. He de- uh, she defeats her and offers friendship before Nebula refuses and escapes. And the group cuts off her hand. Empire Strikes Back cuts off her hand. There you go. Mm-hmm. And the group kind of fulfills their plan, which is to blow Ronan up, except they don't actually blow him up. He just kind of shrugs off the gigantic explosion he just took. Um, and right before they are about to all be murdered by Ronan, Rocket crashes his ship, um, crashes the Milano. Yeah, Rocket has no, a different ship. it was ship. another ship. Did I write Milano? My bad. It was the, yeah, Rocket had a different he's ship. He's not in the Milano. Yeah. Rocket has a different ship that he crashes in, and he takes out, um, kind of takes out Ronan, and Ronan's ship begins to crash to the ground, and they all think they're going to die, and Groot ends up uh, sacrificing Jesus. himself to save everyone. Um, and We are Groot. It's so good because Groot is this character who you fall in love with during this movie, and he says three words. He says, I and am and Groot, exclusively in that order. <laughs> and... <Yeah. laughs> And it's just so good because you like fall in love with this character. You like really feel for this character. Some of it is like Groot's like, he's like the group dog, you know, he's got like, he's just so lovable and he's so loyal and you can tell like he literally is just like a dog, but he just says, I am Groot instead. And you kind of feel for him and you feel for this moment. And James Gunn didn't have a lot of time to get you to feel these feelings, right? He had an hour and a half to kind of really make you feel from this point. I think you were probably an hour and a half hour and 45 in. Um, And by this point I'm like almost in tears. Like, Oh my God, I can't believe this tree's going to die. I haven't heard him say more than three words, but I'm so like torn up about this. And I feel like that about all these characters and I'm like, wow, I actually really care about, these characters and them succeeding in it, it characters that not only did they not have a lot of time to get introduced, there were characters that I didn't know about. Like I didn't know about Uh any of these characters until I started watching this movie the first time. Right. Five of them that you have to get to know. Right. And so it's really masterfully done how, how you're made to care about these characters because of how sort of endearing they are. I agree. Like they all end up being really important and it's not just us nerds. Like, Rocket Raccoon is a very popular fictional character in the masses now. People own Groot toys. Like, my God, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, he did a great job of making you care about the characters. And yeah, and the Groot, a, a CG tree voiced by Vin Diesel that says three words, died on screen saving people. And it's like, it's a tearjerker. Like, I actually care. It's That's weird. You know what's weird to me about this scene, too, is that a lot of times we'll talk about comics specifically and how characters will die and it doesn't feel that impactful because we know later they're going to be brought back. And even though, like, less than 20 minutes from when Groot dies, he comes back as a baby dancing tree, It's it doesn't feel... Like, you're not upset about it. You're happy that he's back. It's not one of those things that cheapens the death by bringing him back because he sacrificed his, you know, adult form to save everybody else in the group. And 
for him to come back, it doesn't feel cheesy. It feels like the right thing. Also, though, at the same time, they are really lucky that they picked <laughs> the right twig to plant in the soil. Mm-hmm. That or there's a ton of groots running around that all <laughs> sprouted from all the twigs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the thing about that scene that really gets me is when he's enveloping them in his little shelter, I guess what to call it. And when Rocket looks at him and says, no, Groot, you'll die. And Groot, when he says, we are Groot, right. he wipes the tear away from Rocket's face. And I'm getting choked up thinking about it. Like it is, it. <laughs> this movie makes you sad about a, a, a talking gun obsessed raccoon and and guardians too i think even more so um and it's just wild to me uh, yes like guardians well too even more so yep and so <laughs> keep going eduardo <laughs> and so okay, stop it we'll, we'll talk in a few weeks about that. mocks the guardians of the galaxy um and then we get the 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 famous dance off with Peter Quill singing Ooh Child by Five you, Stair Steps. Listen um, to these words. <laughs> and he ends up distracting him long enough for Rocket to knock the Power Stone away. And so Peter Quill grabs it, and um, the rest of the Guardians are able to kind of help him hold the power and control it and disintegrate Ronin. And so our heroes have won. Um, their ship has been reconstructed. Um Yondu is like, give me the stone. And Quill's like, it's dangerous, but fine, here you go. And it ends up being a little troll doll. Um, we kind of get scenes of them all being like, all right, we're going to we're gonna do this together. Um, and they kind of ride off into the sunset um, for the most part. Oh, important line in that scene to Kraglin saying to Yondu, hey, he turned out all right. It's probably a good thing that we didn't uh, deliver him to his dad like we were supposed to. And Yondu going, yeah, that guy was a jackass. <laughs> yeah, I was actually, it's interesting you say that because in rewatching this one and thinking specifically about the series, what's interesting is how obviously Guardians 2 was set up. Like nothing, so much of Guardians 2 makes sense watching this movie. And at the same time, this movie wasn't, didn't feel like it was setting up a sequel. Mm-hmm. Like they they pulled that off. That's That's a different, interesting balancing act to both have a sequel that fits with seeds you planted originally but doesn't feel like the whole movie is about planting the seeds for the sequel. Like it, it handles it real well, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You get the line of Nova prime saying that, Oh, you know, you're not hundred percent human. Your father's something ancient. We haven't seen in a very long time. So you're like, okay, well there's a mystery for the next movie, but that that's all you need. Like peaches alluded to, we get Groot surviving as a little, little baby tree. And Quill opens up that present that was giving, given to him at the beginning of the movie by his mother. And it is awesome. Mix part two we cut to the jackson five singing i want you back and the movie closes and chris now that the movie's over this movie we've already talked to kind of about it a lot but this movie was not uh it wasn't a safe bet for marvel they some of their properties before were pretty safe bets at this point you knew a thor movie was going to do well you knew a captain america movie was going to do well you knew iron man movies are going to do well mm-hmm. but a guardians of the galaxy movie yeah, uh, I remember there's a there's a financial magazine that does like investing advice called The Motley Fool. And they I remember specifically there was an article they published in the months leading up to this movie and the headline was Guardians of the Galaxy will be Marvel's first flop. 
And it was all about how no one knows who these characters are. This movie is going to be so weird. They were talking about how, you know, at least Iron Man and all these other movies had a built-in audience with comic fans. Whereas the Guardians of the Galaxy weren't even popular with comic fans. You had your hardcore people who probably knew who they were. Uh, they were probably upset that this movie wasn't about Yondu and friends. Uh, you know? <laughs> so the Guardians were very obscure. And if you think about it, it's a hard sell. to. You would think it would be a hard sell to the general public. One of the main characters is a tree that can only say its name. You've got an angry, talking raccoon. And yet this movie works, and it works so well. Now, I personally, I knew this movie was going to be okay, or that it was going to do well. And then I had a chance to be a surprise hit when they released the first trailer. And the first trailer, a lot of it is made up of that scene of uh, John C. Riley explaining to Peter Serafinovich who who the Guardians are. And it's set to Hooked on a Feeling. And it was a very funny... I, I said earlier how that trailer kind of set a very unique tone. And I sent the trailer to my mom who always went to go see the Marvel movies. And I was like, what do you think of this? And her immediate reaction was, oh, I want to see that movie. I was like, okay, if you've won over, you know, someone who was not a big comic book nerd or even a comic is who was a pretty much a casual fan of these comic movies and they want to see this movie. There's going to be a lot of other people who feel that way too. I think Uh, they got people with the great cast the promise of uh, something weird and a great soundtrack. And then the movie was even better than that. I think Uh, I've said this, I think in previous episodes, but one thing I love about this movie and the MCU in general, but this movie is that the movie is grounded. It's not grounded in realism like a lot of people mean when they try to t- sound smart talking about superhero <laughs> movies. Uh, just look at all the Joker discourse right now. They're talking about, oh, it's grounded and gritty and realistic. But this movie is out there and cuckoo bananas, but it is grounded in right. great characters and real emotion. This movie yeah. has a lot of jokes. Um, but there's an element of pathos that that really runs through both the Guardians movies. Uh, I think the bunch of jackasses standing in a circle scene is uh, all of this in a nutshell, because you again, you've got funny jokes about the whole thing. That's 12 percent of a plane. That's barely even a concept. And all of that. More than 11. Uh, yeah. <laughs> How is that even relevant? Or <laughs> we already established that wasn't saving me. When did we establish that? Just a second ago. Well, I wasn't listening. I was thinking, I was thinking about something, something else. Yeah, so there are all these really funny jokes in that scene. But then when, when Quill gives his speech about uh, how this is a chance for them to actually give a shit, as he says, and and to make a difference. And and yeah, they might all die, but you know, at least they're at least they're trying, and then they all come together and they really become the guardians of the galaxy in that moment. Uh, I mean, that scene has so much humor, but so much heart and so much emotion. I think that saying something has heart is kind of a cliche, but like this movie really does have like this movie has a lot of has a really strong emotional core. And I think that's what makes it more than just a really funny, weird space movie. Emotional core is my favorite synonym for heart. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yo, it makes sense that it would have heart because uh, Peter Quill has an element gun. So he can shoot okay. fire, water, wind, earth, and heart. Mm, that makes sense. <laughs> you know what's another like really like gut wrenching scene is when um, Rocket is sitting after the fight and he's looking at the little like the little twig and Drax comes over and sits down next to him and kind of like is like 
going to, and then Pets like him. ends up petting him. Uh huh. Oh man. Oh gosh. Oh, man. And Rock is crying, going, "I called him an idiot." <laughs> uh, he just has so much regret. But the post credit yeah. scene. Oh, go ahead, Robbie. Oh no, I was just gonna say I completely agree with Chris. Like I, I remember there just this idea that this is too out there. This movie will fail. Like I was trying to find good sources on that. I'm glad you did, but. I remember that being the sense. I remember just the assumption in the media internet reporting industry of obviously this is going to be a bad movie because no one's heard of this and this is weird. And instead it is easily one of the most popular comic book movies of all time, which is just yeah, bonkers. Makes me happy, but it's bonkers. But post-credit. Post-credit yeah. to alleviate some of this sadness. Uh, we get the collector getting licked by Cosmo to the disgust of Howard the Duck. Um, Voiced by Seth Green. Wait, what? Seth Green is Howard the Duck. You didn't know that? No, I did not. Yep. Do you think he's coming back? He was in Endgame. I hope so. Was he? There's a, a yeah, shot he's of in him Endgame. in the portal scene. He's staying right behind Wasp. Okay, hold on. I have to Yeah, he's holding a gun. Don't actually yeah. hold on. Keep it going. But I got to look this up. So yeah, I really hope that they do some stuff with Howard. I think he's actually a really fun character. It's time to talk about our MVP for this movie, Robbie. Why don't you kick it off this time? So this was so, so hard. It was. I spent this whole movie thinking, who's the MVP? Who's the MVP? Who's the MVP? And I went back and forth. And I can't believe how good Dave Bautista is. And I love Gamora and Rocket is wonderful. And I didn't want to pick Rocket because Rocket is so popular and I wanted to be different. And I could go with so many things. But right about when Groot stabbed a second wave of enemies with one of his tendrils and slaughtered everyone and then turned around and smiled like a child. That was when I decided, okay, I know who the MVP of this movie is. And it's a dude that says the same line over and over and over again. It's a tree a CG tree voiced by Vin Diesel. The MVP of this movie is Groot. Mm-hmm. And you guys can go ahead and argue with me. Go. Nope. Chris? Well, what do you I think? think that the MVP is Groot. Um, oh. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, all the reasons you said. I mean, uh, uh, an interesting thing about Groot uh, is that Vin Diesel had a different script. Every single I am Groot, he got a script that said what that I am Groot actually translates to so that he knew his motivation for each I am Groot. That's how seriously they took it. And uh, there's a video out there. I don't know if you've ever seen it of him doing I am Groot in different languages, like him going, yo soy Groot. <laughs> so it's, it's really great. Uh, one of my favorite Groot moments you mentioned one, you mentioned maybe my favorite, but I love when uh, uh, rocket and Drax and Groot are on nowhere after Peter has been taken by, by Yondu and, Drax is lamenting how he was blinded by the grief that he feels over the death of his wife and his daughter. And Rocket goes, oh, boo-hoo, my wife and child are dead. And Groot looks at him and goes, oh! <laughs> and You're making Groot- me kick sand! Yeah. Grass, grass! Not You're making sand, me grass. beat up grass. <laughs> but yeah, Groot has just such this great heart so like he he's he's kind to the kids on nowhere when he makes the uh the fire the fireflies appear on their ship you know there's just even though he's like this huge hulking violent tree uh you get the sense that he is an innocent and it's uh really sweet and and it's so sad when he dies and i know that groot comes back but they've kind of said that technically 
that Groot is dead. This is the Groot that we see in the sequels and everything is technically a different being. He doesn't have the memories or experiences of this Groot. Yeah. So, so he, he did die. I have I feelings mean, yeah. on that. Yeah, I mean, it's still Groot, but, uh, you know, we'll talk about baby Groot and teenage Groot when we get Son to those movies. Yeah. Okay, so the both of you are wrong. The real MVP of this movie is Groot. And... <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Explain yourself. Uh, he's got a really good emotional core. I don't know. He, he's just... Are you making fun of That's a thing. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> he's rooted in emotion. He's rooted in emotion. <laughs> I've already talked about it. He's just great. He's just great in this movie. You care about him so much uh, off of so little. Like Robbie already mentioned, he is a CGI tree voiced by Vin Diesel. He is. It is something so ridiculous that works just so well. And I always feel for Bradley Cooper and Vin Diesel when it comes to the Marvel movies because it seems that they get a little bit less credit because they simply do voices and they're not necessarily acting out the character but i think these guys um should be credited with a lot more because they're taking these characters that you don't you wouldn't necessarily um sympathize or empathize with and they're making them relatable characters they're making a talking tree and a wise smart ass raccoon relatable characters to you and i think that their voice acting takes a really really big uh is a really big part of that i'm not going to continue this joke and i'm just going to say in a movie with a ton of different characters to choose from all four of us went with group that's the insane to mm-hmm. me and yeah. and i have like a hierarchy uh groot is up there right behind him is rocket yeah um rocket would have gotten the mvp except i also laugh hysterically every time groot does that move that robbie described where he stabs yeah. all the people like <laughs> then smiles at everybody um Rocket is right below Groot because uh, there's that scene in the movie where they're arguing about Rocket's method. I'm doing air quotes for you listeners of saving Quill and Gamora from the Ravagers. The method was blowing up the other ship. And he's like, how would that have saved us? And he kind of does that at the very end of the movie where he crashes his ship into Ronan, who is in the middle of choking Drax. So he probably should have murdered Drax. And that's why he is below Groot for MVP (laughs) because Groot saved everybody's lives. Um, But yeah, I am no different from the rest of you. Groot is the best. I really expected all of us to have somebody different, especially y'all didn't know this because you're not in the group chat. Sorry, I guess. Uh, But Robbie said to us in the group chat, uh, it's going to be something along the lines of you guys are going to see my MVP and be weirded out. So uh, it'll just be something to talk about. And then here we are all, with right yeah and what's what's great about this movie is you could really make an argument for any one of the leads yes yeah we just all happen to like the uh the the one of few words the tree guy (laughs) yeah way to go Vinny. rating family i'm gonna switch it up i had written something else down but i'm gonna give guardians of the galaxy nine and a half Bopily bopilies out of ten. <laughs> I, thought about, I thought about interrupting one of you by doing that. And we somehow didn't talk about that scene. Oh gosh, Michael Rooker is great in this too. Um, glad he got a lot more to do in the next. Yeah, he'll be an MVP next time. Spoiler. 
Um, I'm I, I'm between him and uh, and the raccoon on the next one. Spoilers. Nine point. <laughs> I almost away. went with nine point five. I couldn't do it. Um, but I did give it nine jackasses standing in a circle out of ten. I uh, I gave it nine pelvic sorcerers out of ten. <laughs> and and so I have to be less than those guys because I said that earlier. I'm eight and a half prosthetic legs out of ten. What a terrible rating. Eight point five. You're a Why terrible you rating. I hate it so much. I hate it so much that I gave it an extra half of a prosthetic. So where did you rank it? So I was surprised because, you know, in the episode one, Guardians was not in my top five. And Iron Man one was in my top five. And right now it is sitting right above the the first Iron Man movie. So I still have Avengers in the lead uh, interchangeable at any moment with Captain America, the Winter Soldier. But right after that is Guardians of the Galaxy. Just purely because I think Ronan's seriousness puts a little bit of a, a wet blanket on certain parts of the movie for me. Uh, whereas the other two movies, there's not really a point that I'm not having fun. Uh, so it's number three right now. I don't expect it will stay number three, but I was surprised that my original top five is already broken. <laughs> yeah i can buy that i was real 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 close to putting this number one real close uh my top three movies are basically on a tier of their own in a virtual tie and i think the reason guardians isn't first for me is part of why i love these movies is these comic book characters that i love being realized on screen and guardians didn't have that it had a bunch of characters that i either had never heard of or had barely heard of and they were pulled off well but that's just enough for me to care a little bit more about the avengers so avengers is still my number one Winter Soldier is very barely my number two, and this comes in at number three. Yeah, for me, this one is just pretty much a hair behind Captain America at number three for me. So it's it's right between First Avengers and that, uh, First Avenger and Winter Soldier at number three. Robbie, I'm kind of the opposite of you. I don't have that much familiarity with them. I didn't have a lot of familiarity with the Marvel characters, so it was about taking characters that I thought were kind of not cool or boring, specifically like Captain America, that I thought before I saw the MCU that were not kind of characters that I'd be interested in making them interesting to me. And I think the movie that succeeded the most in taking characters that I had no idea or didn't care about and making them interesting and making them to something that I cared about was this movie. And I found myself in my rewatch just absolutely loving this movie. And so I had to put it first. I put it above Winter Soldier, which I didn't think there would be. There was There's one other movie, which we will watch later, that I think is above Winter Soldier, but I didn't think any other movie would come above Winter Soldier. And here I am already putting the first Guardians. One movie. week later. I know. <laughs> I expected you to put two movies above Winter Soldier, so now I'm confused about the one. Okay, well, there's a movie which we'll watch very soon while I enjoy very much. I don't think it's like a the best movie. Oh, okay. So like you, you would, hmm. you personally like it a lot, but right. you wouldn't necessarily say it's a great film. Right. Sure. Absolutely. Like I connect yeah. with the films specifically, but I don't think it's necessarily like a, like, you know, top tier filmmaking. Yeah, sure. Okay. That makes sense to me then. Mm-hmm. The other one though, is a perfect film and I will fight every last one of you. I am not fighting mm-hmm. you to figure out <laughs> yeah, what I'm talking fight. about. Keep listening to assembly required. That's going to do it. It's going to do it for myself, for Peaches, for Chris, for Robbie. You can find Peaches at Twitter at D underscore Peaches. Chris is over at GatorSax2010. Robbie at PhilKid3. You can find myself 
at abcdeduardo1. If you want to tweet at the show, at assemblycast. If you want to email the show, assemblyrequiredcast at gmail.com. If you want to listen to our other show, the Squad Up Show, you can find it over at Squad Up Podcast. Anywhere podcasts can be found. That's going to do it for myself, for Peaches, for Chris, for Robbie. We love you, 3000, everybody. Peace. That Jackson Pollock line, I did not expect and I didn't remember oh. from my initial <laughs> watch. And I was very shocked at like, uh, oh my God, that is a very, like, that's a very dirty line. Uh-huh. Yeah, people are like, how am I going to explain gay marriage to my kids? But they're not like, how am I going to explain Peter Quill saying Jackson Pollock painting to a raccoon in the show th- or the movie that they watch. Yeah, kids still shouldn't know about Jackson Pollock. Right. <laughs> oh, I get it, Mom, but why does he why would it look like a painting in his ship with the black light? I just don't understand. Yeah. Please explain it to me in great detail. <laughs>